This is God's word. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us, on whose account has this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you've done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then he said to them, what shall, then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for me, for you. For I know that it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We'll leave the reading of God's word there and come back to the next bit in the story in a fortnight's time. Jonah is a man running from God. And this entire book, all four chapters of Jonah, show that he is a man who is running from God, running from mercy, which is the title of our series. And the question is, does he ever stop running away from God? It's, it's not resolved by the end of the story. We never know what happens to him. He's a prophet of God. He knows God. So why is he running? The idea is that there is something of all of us in Jonah. Whether we are religious or not religious, there is something of all of us in Jonah at some point in our lives. For some of us, we are like Jonah all the time. Why would this be? Because God is a God of love. He's a God who gives life. He's a God who blesses. And so it makes no sense to run away from God. 
But as we'll see as the sermon series progresses, there is often something deep down that drives us to run. And so this series is all about discovering and trying to ask ourselves, what is it that makes us and people we know run from mercy? So in this passage, as we go through, we'll see four things. Number one, we'll see a call. Number two, we'll see a flight. Number three, we'll see a storm. And fourthly, we will see a calm. A call, a flight, a storm, and a calm. Firstly, a call. Look down at verse one. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Jonah, as I've mentioned a few moments ago, is a prophet of Israel. He's a real person. He's mentioned elsewhere in the Bible in 2 Kings chapter 14. We think it's hard to date, but somewhere between 840 BC and 700 BC, he was in and around doing his ministry. And so this sort of prophetic formula that we see in other prophetic writings begins... The passage of Jonah, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. A message has been given to the prophet. Something that has come directly from God to the prophet. God speaking directly to the prophet with great gravity and solemnity. We are to listen to what the prophet says. And that was his task, that was his calling. To go and take the message and obey it and and, and preach it to God's intended audience. And so God says in verse 2, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up against me. Uh, Sorry, come up before me. We will learn more about the city of Nineveh later on in chapter 3. But for our purposes today, we need to know that Nineveh was part of the great empire of Assyria, which in those days was the dominant force in world politics. And God says, Nineveh is a great city. Not so much because it's particularly massive, although it is big. Not because it is morally wonderful, because it's not. But it is great in the eyes of God because it is a significant city. It is important to him. And what's been going on in the city of Nineveh has arisen to the top of the list, I suppose you could say when it comes to God's attention. Why has that happened? What has been going on? Well, it doesn't exactly detail exactly uh, what has been happening in the city, but God says, their evil has come up before me. Otherwise, we could say bad stuff is happening in the city and it's caught God's attention. Assyria was a notoriously brutal regime. You can look at the book of Nahum, a few books to the left, who details the accusations and the terrible things that the people of Nineveh did. But the Hebrew word that refers to evil is capable of two different meanings. In fact, commentators point out that there is an ambiguity here in the word that God uses, and he uses it on purpose, the word evil. Yes, Evil acts have been happening within the city. But also it intends to convey that evil has been happening in terms of bad times. Distress is happening. Evil situations, suffering. 
The situation is evil as well as the acts they've been doing. And so both are intended. God decided to act because there is evil acts in that city, but there is great distress and suffering in that city. And so Jonah got the call. He was called to herald and bring the message of God to that great city, a message of judgment, evil deeds, but of life, bad times. And God is here to make a change. And this, I suppose, can be considered for us personally as a church, a bit of a a side issue from the main point in the book of Jonah. But we too here, I want to remind you, at Foundation Church Belfast, have a privilege and a great calling to bring God's word to the great city of Belfast. And it is a difficult calling because we have a word, a gospel word, that speaks against the evils of our city, the areas that people and individuals and institutions are sinning and living life against God's perfect ways. But we also have in that same gospel word a word of love and compassion for the broken. And those who are in distress, we speak against the evils, but we also alleviate suffering by the same gospel word. We are here to lessen distress and show compassion as well as confront evil and hostile responses. We can't separate those two things. So first of all, we see the call to preach to the great city. God speaks. He gives a clear message and he tells the prophet exactly what to do with it. But secondly, we see a flight. He takes off, not in an aeroplane, but he flees. Look down at verse 3. He just had this message given to him, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare, went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. It says it twice in one sentence. Most of the prophets, in fact, all of the prophets in the Old Testament are given a message from God and they obey it. Some of them feel unqualified, like Amos. Some of them feel that they lack talent like Isaiah. Some of them think they are too young like Jeremiah. But none of them did what Jonah does. And he went to the port of Joppa and intended to get as far away from Israel as he could. Jonah probably didn't really think he could ever leave the presence of God. But most likely he just wanted to go to a place where there were no worshippers of God, the God of Israel. He wanted to go to a place where he just couldn't hear God's word. The God of Israel, as far as he was concerned, spoke to the prophets of Israel about the people of Israel. And so if Jonah left Israel altogether, then maybe he would just stop hearing from God and that would be far better. He didn't want to hear God. He didn't want to hear his call. He didn't want to hear his word, his claim on his life. And so he fled. And we get even in these first few verses an early inclination about what was going on in Jonah's heart. It was not so much that he feared the Assyrians. 
that he had some sort of stage fright and he didn't want to get up and preach the message. No, 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 it was deeper than that. We get the inclination here that we have a prophet, a preacher, who disliked the message. He didn't want to preach it. Don't forget God said their evil has come up before me. Not just their evil ways, but their distress, their suffering. And God wanted to do something about that. And so Jonah fled. He took evasive action. He didn't want it to be true. He wanted to flee the consequences of God's word. And the more we allow our minds to think about what might be happening, we start to get a little deeper into the question of why people in general flee, run from God. As we said at the start, the Bible teaches that God is a God of love. He's a God who gives life. He's a good God. He promises to bless his people and not to harm them. So if all those things are true, and Bible people know that above all people, then why do we run away from the mercy of God? Why do people around us flee from God? Why do we flee, especially when, like Jonah, we should know better as church people? Why do we choose to run? Well, if we take a step back from this story for a moment and, and think about the big picture in the Bible, the Bible presents us with two reasons why you and I and people we know are tempted to run from mercy. The first reason is this, number one. When we look at the big picture of the Bible, as human beings, all of us, our natural inclination is to run away from God. We are born with an inclination to run from mercy. This is first noted in right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis three at the bit that Christians commonly call the fall, when sin entered into the perfect world that God had created, disrupting the relationship between humankind and God and humankind with one another. They took the fruit, Adam and Eve, they failed the test, they sinned. And Genesis 3 says this, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife, that is Adam and Eve, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. But God said to the man and the woman, where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I wanted away from you. And so that natural fellowship with God was broken. They preferred running away rather than enjoying a relationship with their creator. The New Testament develops this idea even more. It calls us, all human beings, enemies of God. We are at enmity with him. Every human being has this inclination within them from birth onwards. So the first reason we run is because we have a natural inclination to go, according to the Bible. The second reason goes from our natural inclination to our individual choice. The second reason is this. 
The reason we run from mercy is because we do not want mercy. We don't want it. And so we run, we flee. There is something we want more than God. There is something we love more deeply than God. Often it is some sin that we cherish, some sinful trait or lifestyle or part of our lives that we want to hang on to. We must hang on to it. We know somewhere, either consciously or subconsciously, what God thinks about us cherishing this sin or that sin. And we don't want to know anything more about it. And so we run from his mercy. Like Jonah, we end up putting ourselves into exile. Like someone who is offered life-saving surgery, we fear the surgeon's knife. We dislike the implications of God's word rather like Jonah. You see, in order for us to receive mercy, a part of us has to die. The sinfulness has to go. The thing that we cherish above God has to go, and we don't want that. We're happy for God's word to be true in general, but not true for that part of my life. Not true for this relationship I have. Not true for that behaviour I indulge in. So taken together, whether it is our natural inclination or our personal choice or both, people run from God because ultimately they don't want him. They don't want his mercy and his love. And it doesn't matter if you're a religious person or a non-religious person. What about you? Are you running from God? Are you running from mercy? Do you dislike the implications of God's word? Do you reject the call that he has on your life? We've seen a call. We've seen the flight. He flees. Now we come to the storm. Verse 4. It says, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest. That's a storm. Sounds cooler, a tempest. On the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. These these words, hurling and, and mighty tempest, communicate something of the drama of the situation. This noise, just imagine it for a moment. The ferocious winds were howling about them. The sails were flapping, being torn to shred on the masts. There was creaking and cracking of wood as the boat was flexing and splitting, cargo slipping and flying all about, people falling over, shouting to be heard above the turmoil of the wind and the seas. The Lord hurled a great wind. But this was no natural storm. This was recognized as a supernatural storm by the sailors. They can't have been too far from the coastline because we see in verse 13, they actually attempted to row back. You wouldn't do that if you're in the middle of the ocean. But if you see the coast in sight, you'd have a go. These were sailors. They knew the ropes. They knew the waters. (laughs) 
They set off in fine weather, but there was something about that storm, something about the suddenness that it came upon them, the ferocity and the fury. There is something unnatural about this storm because, as we shall see, it was a sign of God's wrath, his righteous anger and punishment against Jonah's rejection. Jonah even figures it out himself in verse 12. It's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And so we have this picture of the sailors frantically hurling cargo over the side to try and lighten the boat, shouting to one another, cry out to your gods. The sailors were clearly devout men and spiritual in their own way. Compare that with Jonah, who in verse 6 we find is sleeping deeply in the very lowest part of the boat. This word sleep refers to not just a nap or a snooze, but a deep hypnosis. Out cold, we might say. This deep heaviness that had come upon Jonah, no doubt because of his exhaustion from fleeing from God, his depression from running away from him. Compare that with the frantic activity upstairs of the sailors. I always think it's interesting to observe and listen to the way people respond to great distress at various points in their life. Because the way that people respond to great distress points to how they view life, where they view the source of that life. Where do they go to in times of dire straits? It's not uncommon to hear people who are not religious in any way, but yet who are in uh, imminent tragedy or, or terrible things are about to happen. And often people will say, they cried out and say, God, if you exist, then help me. And we see the sailors doing similar things here. Everyone to his own God, call out. If God is real and he's out there, then maybe he'll listen. So everybody on your knees, come on. That's where their hope was, in the divine, somewhere up there. But look at Jonah. Jonah didn't look up to the divine. He looked within himself. He turned within himself. He ignored God and looked for something to cling to inside himself. And quite honestly and obviously, he found nothing there. So he sank into this deep despair. He became utterly depressed at the point of giving in, even, as we shall see, suicidal. He had nothing to cling to. Others, at the time of great distress or an imminent tragedy, will turn to various behaviours such as food or alcohol or drugs, whether prescription or recreational, to find hope. Some people may use psychological mechanisms such as obsessions or compulsions to carefully control a little part of their lives to give the sense that all is well outside. Still others overwork, become workaholics. We all have a way of responding to the storm. For Jonah and the sailors on board, the storm came as a direct consequence of Jonah's running of his rejection. For us and the storms in our lives, they are not always the consequence 
of our own personal sins against God, but sometimes they are. Especially if someone is running away from God's call, God's word to them, then sometimes God allows them to feel the consequences or the force of their bad decisions to understand the effects of running away from mercy. So just to be clear, the storms in our lives are sometimes the direct consequences of our own decision to run away from God's mercy, but sometimes those storms are not anything to do with what we have done specifically. But either way, the point I want to impress upon you tonight, either way, a storm always presents an opportunity to turn and receive mercy. A storm always presents an opportunity to turn and receive mercy. Are you here this evening experiencing a storm in your life? Are the waves looming high above your head? Is there a situation in your life that is threatening to break you into pieces? Do you see right now nothing but grey skies? You may sense a storm in terms of your direct relationship to God. Maybe you feel disconnected, that he seems somehow distant. Maybe you are filled with guilt and shame about past sins and so you're running away from mercy. Maybe you're going through a storm in terms of your relationship with other people. Maybe there's breakdown in relationships between family and friends. Maybe for you there is a storm within yourself, whether it is ill health or some psychological imbalance, whether there are behaviours or thoughts that to you just feel uncontrollable. Whatever it is, whatever type of storm you may be experiencing right now, in the storm, there is always an opportunity to turn and receive mercy. But the good news is, the great news that we see in this text, is that God is in the business of calming storms. So we've seen a call, a flight. We've seen a storm. And finally, we see a calm. Verses 7 and 8. Jonah was identified by lots. Apparently a lot was two stones or two sort of flat bits of wood, black on one side and white on the other side, and they would throw these things up. And if two black pieces were facing upwards... That means no. If two white pieces were facing upwards, that means yes. And if it was black and white, it means throw again. That was pretty much what a lot was. And so they threw lots. And by that process of elimination, they identified Jonah as the one who is responsible in some way for this storm. And when he had been identified, he says, you know what? Hold my hands up. I am the guy. And so they say to him, who are you? What do you do? Where are you from? What is your country? What people are you from? 
And so he responds in verse 9, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And their response was, what is this you have done? You have upset this God who has made the sea and the dry land. And now look at us. We're all going to go under. So it's no surprise they ask in verse 11, what shall we do to you? What shall we do to make this all go away? So Jonah's response in verse 12, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, and it will quiet down for you. It is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. The sailors tried everything and anything they could to free themselves from the storm. They tried rowing to shore, but everything was futile. The, the storm grew more and more tempestuous against them. And so, as a last resort, they listened to Jonah. They cried out to God and said, it's on him, it's not on us. Don't hold us guilty for killing this man. And so in verse 15, they hurled him out into the sea. And it says, the sea ceased from its raging. All became quiet when Jonah went into the storm. There was peace. You can see that at the height of the storm, mercy was available. In the storm, the sailors saw the wrath of God against disobedience. And they saw the mercy of God for salvation, for deliverance. The storm subsided. God's wrath was put away. The boat and its crew were saved. And as we'll see in a few moments, it had a profound effect on all who witnessed it. So we've got to ask ourselves this evening, how can wrath and mercy come together? How can the same event be a sign of wrath and a sign of mercy? How can judgment and forgiveness come together in the storm? And maybe even thinking more personally, how can it apply to us in the storms of our lives? Today, as we stand here, we can see most clearly and powerfully wrath and mercy together at the cross of Jesus Christ. Because you see, on the cross, a truly innocent man was sacrificed so that many could be saved. At the cross, Christ was hurled into the storm so that we can know peace. Jonah said, this great storm came upon you because of me. At the cross, Jesus said, this great storm came upon me because of you. On the cross, Jesus died. He took the storm. He bore the wrath of God that should have been for us. He went into the storm willingly so that we could be saved from ours. And God's wrath at that moment when Jesus died on the cross ceased against us because Jesus took the storm in our place. At that moment, the raging ceased. 
The sailors in our story cried out in the middle of the storm, let us not perish for this man's life. And so this side of the cross, because of Jesus' work on the cross, we can call out in the middle of a storm, let me not perish because of this man's life. And the storm, that ultimate storm between you and God, when you cry out like that, that storm will cease instantly. There will be peace. Darkness will become day. And that is yours when you take God at his word, when you trust in Christ's ability to save you from the one true storm that really will pull you under. Then you will have power to deal with all the other storms that come into your life when you know that Christ has dealt ultimately with the greatest storm. Lastly, as we come into close, look at the sailors. When they saw the wrath and the mercy of God played out in front of them, it says in verse 16, they feared the Lord exceedingly. That is, they worshipped him exceedingly. They worshipped him with great devotion. They were awestruck at what God had done. When you see Jesus and what he did for you, then you will stop running. Instead, you will want to turn around and give your life to him. You will want to give him your all. You will want to stop running away from mercy and running into his arms. And like the sailors, when you see the wrath and mercy of God in the cross of Christ, you will worship Jesus exceedingly with everything you have. You will say, God, save me from this storm. I am his. He restored my life. I owe him everything in exceeding worship. Do you need rescue this evening? Do you crave for peace in the midst of the storm? Mercy is available at the cross of Christ. Let's pray. Father, you hate sin. And you hate distress. We thank you that you dealt with both finally and fully at the cross. We thank you, Jesus, for willingly going through the greatest storm of God's wrath for us so that we can have mercy and peace. Help us, Holy Spirit, to see Jesus more clearly. Help us to see him in his beauty. Help us to call out to him in faith. 
God, grant us peace and hope for the middle of the storm. Teach us, Lord Jesus, to worship you exceedingly with all we have. We pray these things in your name and for your glory. Amen.